Hello, and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast for Thursday, July 2nd, 2020, otherwise known as World UFO Day. Nice. <laughs> Can't complain. That's out of this world UFO Day. Yeah, I think they just declassified a bunch of UFO footage. Did they? Or like files. I heard it on... I feel I like it this should be internet. on Joe Rogan or something. Well, if, the, if I'm going to guess, that's probably where Pentagon I heard it. The Pentagon released some footage that came from some Navy pilots. And yes, there was a real UFO sighting. Obviously, they're not saying that there's that they're real, aliens? really aliens. They're assuming it was terrestrial. Yeah. Well, All they're right. saying they don't know. So, yeah. Who knows? Do you UFOs, think it's extraterrestrial? Semi-extra. I'm really comfortable just saying I don't know in these kind of situations. Yeah. I mean, if I had to guess, there's got to be life somewhere else out there. Yes. I'm fine with that. Yeah. So, it's been a minute. What are you guys working on? Oh, just alien stuff. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, <trying to laughs> just very foreign down. things. Yeah. Uh, actually, Mike, why don't you go first? It seems like you've been hardest at work from what I've been watching on your Instagram. Man, I'll tell you what, I've got a few things cooking. The first thing I've got to say is big shout out to everybody that checked out the bathroom episode on the bus. I think last episode we recorded, which we skipped a week just due to technical errors. Mm -hmm. But I think last time we talked, it was when I had the tiles down, but no grout complete. I'm happy to say it looks fire. It looks really sick. It's not a gimmick. You know what I mean? We were talking about gimmicks (laughs) and like if, if colored grout is a huge gimmick. And maybe if I did some sort of like lightning blue or electric blue that was just screaming at you. But this is a, a little bit of a gray toned muted blue. Mm-hmm. And in person, it shows off a little bit better than on camera. And it looks great, man. Yeah. And the video is doing awesome. It's been getting great feedback and a lot of people telling me there's no chance that that tile is staying on the wall. So <laughs> the one thing I'm going to do is mount a GoPro into the corner of the bathroom <laughs> the first time I drive anywhere because I'm so curious. Well. I, it's funny that they said gimmick because if you think about actually doing a grout that's a darker color than the tile itself, there's a mm-hmm. functional reason to do that because if you look into an old bathroom, the part that looks the most dirty is always the grout. But if the grout oh, is darker, it'll mask dirt in that in a very intentional, smart way. So that little yellowing with time, which which still could be totally sterile. I mean, you could, you know, put bleach on it and it'd still be a little bit off colored. Yeah. So going with a dark grout actually makes a lot of sense from a keeping it looking fresh standpoint. Mike, you should yeah. have gone with mildew colored grout. <laughs> <laughs> a nice it's forest a green. Yeah, too bad they're out of stock on that one. It's Got flying it. off the shelves. Yeah, the one concession on the video though is Due to sponsor timelines and all of that sort of stuff, I had to put the video out before I got the big vanity that I was planning on building completed. And it's a good thing because I am still working on it like 10 days later. So the the general theme is I want to do this really cool welded steel base, which I've already built and I'm very happy with. And then I wanted to pour a gigantic slab of resin, like eight inches thick, yep. which was the countertop and the sink at the same time. Mm-hmm. and. I thought I did a good job of making the mold. I consulted with Mike Clifford, industrial maker. Shout out to Mike. And I got as many helpful tips as possible. And <laughs> I just didn't heed his warning. I, I poured consulting. too thick and I got way too eager to pour the next layer each time. Yeah. And so I did two layers pretty successfully. And I think on the third one, 
I should have waited a few more hours to let the previous layer cool down enough. Oh, no. And I think just all that, that sort of uh, residual heat from the previous layers made the one that I put down crack really, really bad. Mm. It started smoking like crazy. And what it ended up doing was making enough heat that the foam I used to create the negative for the sink for the sink bowl in the mold mm-hmm. started disintegrating. Oh, like wow. it started smoking. Ben, it smelled terrible, right? Yeah. Well, as you said, we're going exothermic. yeah so long story short i've got no clue what this thing is going to look like once i get it out of the mold i think there's going to be some cooking yeah i just did another layer before the podcast i think i'm going to have some whatever you would call it like resin stabilized foam where the sink bowl is going to be yeah you know how people do that with all kinds of stuff i did it unintentionally so i think i'm going to have to come back with some sort of like turbo plane or cut salt disc and use the angle grinder to like carve the sink bowl out so it's going to be it's going to be some epoxy power carving i think as as we all know there's degrees of following instructions and i am certainly not one that follows instructions to the letter and you know mike is also somewhere along that spectrum as well and most of the time, the vast majority of the time, we get away with it just fine. Yeah. Now, when it comes to something like resin, which is sort of so chemically yeah. dependent and it's all been worked out, you really have to kind of follow the rules. And so that's why it was really <laughs> funny, like watching this from the, the other the other room. And, you know, Mike's like, yeah, you know, this originally Mike came to me and goes, like, you know, what? I think I'm just going to pour it all at once. And it's like it's like eight or nine inches deep. Yeah, and it's it's a full not just a sink. It's the full vanity countertop. So it's 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 big. You've already gone through what like nine gallons of total boat thick set. I think I did. Oh, it would wow. have been enough. It would have been enough epoxy if the sink bowl stayed watertight. So Mike, but Mike, so much of that epoxy soaked into it that I it just was like a sponge. Mike went from I'm going to probably ten x the recommended amount to, you know what i'm just gonna double the recommended amount and still had some some thermal problems it's interesting yeah. though but i think this is why we tend to different makers avoid different material types or different techniques or things like that we all have these established patterns of how we work relative to sort of following the rules or or improvising you know or, or getting really creative and <laughs> You know, it's funny that like this is one thing that you just can't cheat. You just can't like, I mean, no, that's that's the truth. I remember on the on the resin, it says you can pour it up to an inch thick if it's a small mold or I'm sorry, if it's any size mold up to two inches thick, if it's a small mold. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, well, I don't know what constitutes a small mold Smaller than a bus. I wouldn't call it a big mold. I would say like a like a six foot by two foot mold, you know. Right, like a surfboard. That's a, th- that's a big mold, yeah. But I'm thinking this is maybe small, small, medium, medium, if you will. It definitely qualifies as a large mold. So I, I was like, I'll just do two, two inches thick. I'm going to go for it. Like I said, one or two layers actually did work. But then the cumulative heat kind of all it screwed me. Well, you know, to make to make a, a Ben food analogy, it would be mm-hmm. like woodworking or whatever, where you can kind of get away with stuff. That's making a quesadilla, but working yeah. with epoxy is baking a cake. Dude, that's gotta, so like, true. Follow the letter of the law. But you know what? They're actually like in a weird way, kind of reversed in a lot of ways. So like woodworking, 
you tend to like, you know, obviously you try to be as good as you can the whole way through, but you have a lot of opportunities after the fact to correct mistakes or to like fix your problems that you created along the way, along the way. With epoxy, it seems like you got to do all of that stuff in the beginning. It's front-loaded. It's like a right. house of cards where, where it all starts to break down and fall apart if you don't do it. Yeah, and I'm, a, I'm great at fixing problems. I'm terrible at avoiding them. <laughs> That's why I try and avoid concrete projects, but it's all in the preparation and the following directions. But I'll get better because I still think the cumulative amount of time I've saved by winging it while I'm making things, mm. it's still bigger than the amount of time that I've wasted by kind of like fudging the directions here or there. Net positive. Right. Yeah, net there positive, I think. You're still in the black. Either way, that's the life motto. You got to be positive. Yeah, I think the yeah. key move would have been, and this is a really interesting thing that I'll try to like project plan around when I know that there's something where I have to follow the rules and it's going to go slow, but be really tedious is I'll like, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, uh, Mike, is that if you would have just planned to do two projects so that you don't have to hurry in between the things, the minute you say, okay, today I'm just making this sink is the minute right. you want to rush the epoxy pour because that's all you have to do. And there's going to be downtime in between the layers. Right. So you're incentivized <laughs> yeah. to go really fast with the layers. But if you say, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to be pouring this over the course of like four days with little half inch thick layers just to be on the safe side. And I'm going to be working on this other project in my downtime and I'll just set my timer for every two hours to do another pour. You incentivize yourself into a productive workflow where I'm going to work on this for two hours then go spend 15 minutes to pour this. And that's how I've sort of, you know, that's been my approach to the concrete work is that if you're pouring a big patio slab, it's so much physical labor to mix all that concrete, even if you're using a cement mixer. And then you have such a short period of time after you're exhausted from pouring all that concrete to finish and trowel it. And if you sort of rush that part, you screw up all the things that invalidates all that manual labor. So that's why I really like working in this semi-tedious way that I can kind of just batch out because what I did with the the project planning is I quarantined off these distinct steps that produce a unit of finished product that adds to the square footage of the deck without sort of compromising that one big mistake that that drives everything from being less than ideal. Right. Yeah, I think that's I'm going to incorporate that a little bit more. So you you already know this, but today I've been working on kind of a side project because once I started trying to fix my mistakes responsibly and not make them worse, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing kind of one inch pours, letting them cure between pours, doing everything as right as possible. So I just started a little coffee table build. I'm not going to give it away or anything. I'll just let that video come out. But this has been this little side project I'm making. It's been one of those back burner ideas that it's a cool idea, but until you need a coffee table, which is what the project is, it's something that you never really make yourself do because you don't have that immediate need. But if you have sort of time to fill, instead of it being just like a useless project, now it's like a good way of just realizing a cool idea, you know, and it's, and it's like all productive and it's all upside. So yeah. I'm going gonna, yeah. I'm gonna to start doing that more because I've enjoyed it. I've been able to just mix some epoxy, then go work on something else and then come back, check it. Like, OK, yeah, let's go ahead and do a pour. We're good to go. So, yeah, it's more like farming than kind of making. 
Yeah, it's like you're making little bits of progress on a lot of different things. And then I guess eventually you have a lot of finished projects kind of all at once, Plant, which is planting cool. seeds. Yeah, yeah exactly. I call that a uh, finishing slash editing day. Yeah. So like, yeah. you know, four out of five times, probably still when I, whenever I'm like, you know, putting finish on a project, I'll use maker brand, simple finish shout out. Wow. The best oil-based <laughs> wood finish for furniture in the game. And That's the one plant-based for all you vegans. Low Great. VOC <laughs> oh. available now link in the description. <laughs> but anyway, that other one out of five times, I will spray polyurethane now that I have a furniture sprayer. And what I found is that like, it actually doesn't save any time. You'd think it would be a big time savings, but it's kind of like there's downtime associated with it and you end up having to do more coats. So it's kind of like you spend the same... Actually, I probably spend more time, but it has to be spread out over like 12 hours depending on what you're doing because you'll like put a coat on, wait 30 minutes, flip it over, put another coat, wait 30 minutes. And so on those days, that's usually, you know... I'm basically the the project is done. I've got all my footage at that point. So that's when I usually like get my edits started. And so I'll just spend like two days kind of editing and applying finish to a project. And it makes it not a terrible day because I've had the days where it's like all I was doing was just trying to finish stuff. And I'm just like moving parts around and finishing. And, and it's like, God, 12 hours of this really sucks when you're like on a deadline. But if you're able to like space it out where... Yeah, it's still a ton of work, but there's so much downtime associated with it and you can be productive during that downtime. It makes it a lot more palatable. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about like cleaning the gun between coats? Do you have to do any kind of maintenance so it doesn't get gummed up? Not as as long as you're like spraying every, you know, half hour or something, you're usually fine unless it was like a super dry day, I guess. Super hot, dry day. Nice. Yeah, like definitely at the end of the day, you got to like, you know, run hot water through it and then depending on what you're using. Like sometimes I'll use that black polyurethane. Then you will usually like have to actually kind of disassemble it a little bit and use like acetone on it and stuff. Sounds like a lot of work. It is. It can be. This Never message spraying. brought like, to you by Maker Brand. No, yeah. I'm kidding. That's just one commercial for Maker <laughs> yeah, Brand. Seriously. No, it's like, a, it's like cleaning a waffle iron. You just don't stop making waffles. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And you never yeah. have to clean it. I mean, Another just keep it hot. For and also, just like never stop making waffles. Waffles are awesome. <laughs> always be making waffles that's my life motto (laughs) chris what do you that's cool what do you got going on other than uh making waffles so last time we talked i had talked about i hadn't done any of the like testing with the vinyl wrap yet and then i sent you guys a picture and we posted it on instagram super clean yeah i was surprised like i mean i i thought it would work well but it worked even better than i thought it would expected so i got the project designed, done. I have to still edit the video. So I have some other stuff that has to come out first. So I'm thinking like in the middle of this month, hopefully is when it should come out. But yeah, like it was, uh, it's definitely something that I will use on other projects moving forward. It's honestly very simple for like the quality of, of a look that you can get from it. So hopefully people will see it and be excited about it and want to try it on their own. I know I found that like if I look back through my videos of what has performed the best, it seems to be things that like fall within woodworking, but some form of experimentation with a new technique. And so yeah, this time. definitely falls into that category, which I wish that those weren't my best performing things. Like I wish that my best performing thing was just like, here's a nice 
media console or whatever, but <laughs> you know, there's just not the the audience or the interest for that as there is for other things. So this was a cool one. Like, I feel like, you know, to go back to the conversation of gimmicky or not, like, yeah, I guess it, it's kind of like walk in the fence between gimmicky or not, but I, I think it lands fairly in the legit, not gimmicky category. So we'll see, we'll see how people react I to th- it. I think it's actually, I'm glad you brought that up as sort of a follow-up to that because I think that was one of the episodes where we discussed this idea of gimmickiness that Mm -hmm. I got the most messages on Instagram from people sort of saying, oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? So I think there was something kind of there to that conversation that's worth following up on. What's I was kind of thinking about that because I've noticed that with you too, that if you look at the some of your best performing projects, they always have that kind of twist. Yeah. But I think that's more of a thing. Again, we're going to go food analogies here where yeah. if if I talk to my friends that are chefs, the meal that they think is often the best at their restaurant is never the most popular. It's what's most popular is always like this one appetizer that has a little bit of flair to it and it's very mm-hmm. memorable and it's differentiated. So pe- right. they're we're in a pretty developed society. There's a lot of quality out there. There's a lot of really good woodworkers. Like I know quite a few good woodworkers out there that make really nice stuff. And what separates you, I think, is, and I kind of think this might be, my suspicion might be because you came to woodworking kind of later in life mm-hmm. that I don't think you think of it like a religion, like this thing that has to be adhered to. So you're, you're really good at it but you're no, don't treat it as so precious that you can't add Legos or you can't add right. epoxy or you can't add these things, but you don't do that the way me or Mike would do it, which is more sort of the gimmick is the project. You kind of more subtly bring that in. So I think that's why yeah. those things stand out from, or at least perform really well for you is that it is mostly measured work. So it's like, if you go to a steakhouse and they have amazing garlic bread, like the best garlic bread in the world, you, you know, that that kind of is something that's going to stand out because you already expected the steaks to be good. The garlic bread was kind of like, wow, they really cared about this and put truffle oil on it or something else. So I think that there's a logic to that, even though it seems weird that you're a really good woodworker and that a lot of your most popular projects involve something other than wood. Right. Yeah. Some sort of a, well, actually going back to garlic bread, were you talking about Sizzler? I just got to know for the record. I'll say that again. I didn't hear you. You kind of cut out. You're talking about Sizzler. They're famous for that garlic bread. You know, now defunct Sizzler. Garlic bread. We'll go with a blooming onion. Garlic bread. That's an Outback. Garlic bread. (laughs) Close. Garlic bread might have been the wrong thing because. Yeah. I think blooming onion was the perfect analogy. Right. I think Mike got it there. And also, yeah. I don't think I've ever had garlic bread that I didn't enjoy. Yeah, no. not really. Maybe if you forgot to toast it. What about like, bad? I want my baby back, baby back, Chili's. baby back. So that's our baby back. When Chili's came out with baby back ribs, I know they I didn't come they out with them. Yeah. Was, <laughs> were they being weird by doing baby back ribs or did they know. just it have a good just, song? It was just a weird jingle, I think. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Barbecue sauce. All right, sorry. <laughs> as long as it's not Applebee's, we're all good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Chris. Yo. Your plans are launching this week or something like this? Yeah. So uh, we did a pre-sale. So that's available now. And then on Tuesday will be the official, like, you know, the first a YouTube video will come out that's for the project that 
the first set of plans is for. So that's like the official launch, but we decided to do a pre-sale kind of, I guess, semi 11th hour. We decided to do it, but yeah. Cool. So so I know Chris isn't going to say it. So if you're listening and interested, get one. (laughs) I'm sure it's going to be good. You already know Chris. He kills it. So just do it. Forestfurniture.com slash plans. Nice. All right, Ben, what are you up to, man? You've been putting out way too many videos. Holy cow. Yeah. You go on this like two month streak of maybe putting out a video <laughs> and then just drop like six in a two week period. Look, Binge I, and purge. I, I am a middle aged man that just doesn't care anymore. <laughs> I was going to say give him, but you know. No, it's just the, I am fully embracing working at my own schedule and my own pace. And what I find kind of works well for me right now is... I'll do a lot of building for two weeks and then I'll do a lot of editing for a week and then I'll post a whole ton of content all at once. It's probably not ideal for algorithms and all that stuff, but it's just the way I like to do things. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of new videos out. Brett from Skull and Spades, be sure to check him out. He's doing some really, really cool stuff and I'm learning a ton from them. He's teaching me all these cool techniques related to blacksmithing, to to brassing different metals uh, and doing really cool finishes. He built a solar powered job box for Homemade Modern. I'm going to be using Brett to probably make about, you know, maybe one to two videos every two months. And We basically made one of those job boxes that you see at construction sites where you lock up all the tools, but we put the goal zero systems into that so that you can charge your tools while they're being stored safely. Partnered with FlexSeal on that one, knocked it out, super serviceable. I've been working, well, I finished a floating bed, tested it. Dude, floating bed, it came out so good. (laughs) Yeah, I was genuinely impressed with it. It's tight. Yeah, steel is amazing, just how strong you can make things that are really, really thin. So it's tied into the wall. It has an acrylic base, as we talked before. And it's really funny because I keep thinking now that I'm looking at it, it looks more minimalistic than it does gimmicky. Because mm-hmm. all you see, especially in our studio, that's all white, white floors, white walls. All you see is just this floating cloud of like white linen and a thick ass slab of white cedar. And that's it. Yeah, it's like a the the white cedar headboard is really the only part of the frame or the assembly that you even see. I think it's really and tight. And you didn't even need to use acrylic. No. I, you I, don't even see the leg. I didn't even need the gimmick. The acrylic was the gimmick. <laughs> I could have just made it all steel and wood. And I mean, if you go really low to the ground, so at, if you're sitting in a chair, you don't see the acrylic. If you're like sitting like cross-legged on the floor, you'll see the acrylic. But how often does that happen? So, oh, and speaking of simple finish, dude, on that white cedar, it was nice because it didn't bring out the pink. It brought out the brown. So it sort of made it a nice chestnut. And to Chris's point about time is that the simple finish, what's nice about it, and this isn't a plug. This was like, like typically if I'm going to do like a water-based polyurethane, which is what I use on a lot of projects, Mm -hmm. I have to wait like three to four hours in between coats because I have to wait for it to completely dry. And that's out here in Joshua Tree where it dries really fast. I have to wait for it to completely dry, do a light sanding with 320 or 400 grit sandpaper, and then do the finished coat. And most cases I do two coats. If it's like a countertop or something like that, I'll do three. So that means it's not a lot of time. Like the less total time of application is probably, to be honest, less with the water-based polyacrylic because it goes on faster, but the block of time 
for using this the oil-based finish is faster because it's about the the wait time is only about 10 minutes so it's that you know in 25 minutes between the first and second coat yeah start to finish i'm completely done and the other thing i liked is because the slab is really like there's a lot of checks in it and cracks so Mm -hmm. it's possible that somebody will scratch it or or bang it up or dent it over time I like that I can go back in with just the same oil and just like patch it up or sand out a scuff mark or where handcuffs sort of abraded the edge of it or anything that might happen with a headboard and just patch it up <laughs> with that uh, simple finish. But yeah, I was I was impressed with the white cedar. I didn't know that it was a thing that even existed. And we looked it up. Apparently, it really only grows kind of in the northeast area of the United States and a little bit in Canada. And it's kind of like Cypress but, is what they were also relating it uh, to. Apparently so, but I just never seen a cedar that I've seen some cedar that has good straight grain, but never anything that doesn't have either like some yellow hue or that really kind of purple hue that you get from like Western red cedars or Eastern red cedar, whatever it is. Like this is just like the same brown that you get out of like alder or it's the same brown that you get out of the finished product look like raw hickory cherry cherry. Maybe that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, it's just such a good tone. Yeah, so I don't know where you can source that other than getting the slabs like you did. Yeah. But if I see it around, I'm going to get it. Or ash is what I meant. Yeah. So I'm almost done editing that video. So actually, probably by about the time this podcast is out, that video should be live for Tuft and Needle. But yeah, it's, I think, so I'm working on a hotel project. I'm in the process of developing a hotel. And I think I might do something like this for the all the beds for them, just because it it could be mass produced because so much of the fabrication is steel. I would have to source like a slab for every single room, which would be not too expensive. It makes every room one of a kind. Yeah. It wouldn't be too expensive, but it would make it <laughs> like just finding, you know, that many slabs kind of kind of tricky. But it's something I'm definitely considering. The the v- other video that I posted recently was the big table and it was you know, I went a little clickbaity with the thumbnail, but completely, you know, straightforward and honest. I sort of talked yeah, about it's all true, right? It, I talked about it as a commission, right? And oh my god! <laughs> Speaking of woodworking as a religion, wait, are the let's comments are the comments bad or what? They're angry. They're angry. I'm looking at it's it. It's really interesting, right? When you talking about money is such a tricky thing. Because I think money is personal to everyone. It's I have very wealthy friends that get stressed about money and I have very poor friends that don't worry anything about money. But money is like one of those sort of personal topics that is, you know, like food, relatable to everyone. And I think like what's so funny to me is that people are upset that I sold it for so much money. And they act like I ripped. How could you be doing so well for yourself? Well, how dare you? The funny, the funny thing is, is that they said like <gasps> struggle. Your this yeah. client <laughs> is an idiot. Now the client they're talking about, you know, Harvard educated, uh, works for a major tech company, really high up, probably one of the smartest people I've ever met in my whole life, and they're calling this person an idiot. And what they're not realizing is that this person has a lot of money. And to get a custom table that perfectly fits their home for anything under $10,000 is like a great deal for them. But it's really interesting. Well, I guess it's not surprising that YouTube commenters would see the world that way. 
but they act like that I had to kind of deceive or dupe. And to a certain extent, I kind of get it. It would be like they think that woodworking should be sold as like a percentage of the materials. So when I when I actually read the comments that were not just insulting, but were, you know, just but just disagreed with my pricing, it was like, well, you know, it's not ethical to sell something for more than twice the price of the materials. Right. And I was like, huh, interesting thought. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with what they're saying. I obviously can listen to their opinions and not have to agree with it. But it was such like a, a, a limiting idea that made me really concerned for the way people understand finances uh, or business yeah. in general. Dude, if that's true, never make anything out of concrete again. <laughs> right. <laughs> this took two bags of $4 concrete. I'll take $16. And what was interesting, too, is like, you know, I, di- I didn't get too much into it. I just sort of said, like, if you look at the table that I built, it's actually cheaper than the options from restoration hardware. Okay, here's a question. Restoration hardware. How, what's the, or you know this, Mike, because I already told you. Chris. I saw the video. Restoration yeah. hardware. How much do you think their annual sales are? And they sell 10-foot tables that are, they're fine. They're not great. They're not expertly made. They're like, they got some nice finishes and they're very trendy. But as 10-foot table restoration hardware, what do you think it sells for? Just for that piece? Yeah. A 10-foot table? Okay. Okay. So I was close. How much cosmically? So what people said was there isn't a, there aren't a lot of people that could spend $7,000 on a 10 foot table. And I sold mine for 6,000. So way less. How many or what do you think restoration hardware's annual sales are? $4,800. $4,800. Now, um, how many, are, is there like, what, how many restoration hardwares are there? Like one in every major city type of deal? Over 2 billion. There's over 2 billion restoration hardwares? <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's one for every three people. Yeah. Everyone gets their own <laughs> mega store. No, but yeah. it's like, it's fascinating to me. And I think what's actually, what I was really excited about this whole exchange is that I think there's a lot of woodworkers out there that are really undervaluing their product. For sure. There's so oh, yeah. I off the top of my head, I probably name like I can name well, in our community, so many people that are much better craftsmen or makers than I am. And I think a lot of them that do custom commissions are just really underpricing things. Now, a lot of that has to do with network, is that if their audience and their network is mostly built up of people that are also makers. They're inherently positioning themselves towards people that are going to undervalue their work, even though they're the people that are most able to appreciate the skill that's going into that. And that was like the kind of weird conundrum that was blowing my mind, right? Is that the people that appreciate the skill in woodworking are exactly the people that are the least likely to pay money for it. And this ties into Chris's sort of best performing projects also having a little bit of a gimmick to it is that... The value of the gimmick is to expand beyond the the acolytes, beyond the sort of the sheep that are just kind of following in step with what the people before them did. The minute you expand past that audience is you create the opportunities of people that 
are just happy to see something that looks good that they haven't seen before. And we could, if we wanted to be crass, we could kind of call that novelty. But really, that's a way to sort of expand people's interest into things they've otherwise not considered. So that gimmickiness, Chris, of like some of the things that you've done, I think it's actually like a really great way to actually bring in greater value to the core thing that you're really good at, which is woodworking. I'll take it. Yeah. But but now I will say it. You got you got me going through the restoration hardware uh, catalog here. Look, I got some some chunky rustic stuff. They're they're an incredible brand. They've their stores. If you go into Mike, we went to one of their flagship stores. Like it's a really nice experience. It's the yeah. I wonder. I wonder how much of that two billion dollars <laughs> they're spending on their brick and mortar because. It's a really cool store, particularly that one, just because they've got a really great rooftop area that people just go to to like work at that aren't even shopping for furniture. They're just people sitting around with laptops, chilling, drinking coffee Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like that one in particular seems a little extra, but it is also in downtown L.A. But yeah, that's it. They're cool stores. Yeah. But it's interesting how people think that value and price are these objective things. Like they think somehow because so much of their lifestyle is based on their budget and their taste that and they they probably they probably know that taste is on the more subjective end of the spectrum. But they tend to think that how you spend money is this more objective things. But, you know, OK, here, this is kind of tangential to that conversation. But I so when um, so. Sean put out a video on a loft bed that he did as a commission piece, you know, a week ago. And that's what kicked off our plans and did the pre-sale and everything, right? So there was a comment in on the video about the price of our plans um, from Corey Ward, who I've, I've talked to him a few other times. Super nice guy. I didn't agree with what he said. And so I wrote back to him and then we had a kind of back, very cordial back and forth and we kind of landed at the same spot, but just to say like what the initial reaction was. So there's, these are video plans, long format video plans. The first set of plans that we have is like 80 to nine. It's about 90 minutes, about an hour and a half. Right. Wow. And you of course get other stuff with it too. And the price, what the regular price will be is $90 for the plans. And so he had commented on there that there are other video plans which are longer and the same price or sometimes even cheaper. And I was afraid initially that like, yeah, I can see where people are going to have that reaction, but I don't think that that's a valid way to think. I actually think it's a very flawed way to think. Mm -hmm. So the analogy I made was, okay, let's say that two Ubers pull up. One can get you to your destination in 80 minutes. One can get you to your destination in five hours which would you pay more for? So it's not yeah. about how long it takes. It's Dude, about- I, could go to, I could go to Ted's woodworking plans and get 10,000 plans. And all I need to do is give them, you know, I don't know, probably like $50 or right. something like that. You know, there's like all those things. Like if it's just a race to the bottom, it's a race to the bottom. Well, you know? And my, my contention would be that like, if both get you to the destination, they've both done their job. But if you can get to that destination faster and more efficient, to me, that's actually more valuable. Now, there's also the opposite side of that coin is like some people are going to be watching these strictly for entertainment. And if five hours is more entertainment for you, if that's what you want. But if if your goal is to like learn about 
building and to achieve something and, and whatever, which is, I think, what the majority of people would buy it for. Like the decision is going to come down to which piece you want to build, not which piece is longer. So, right. It, so I'm glad that like we had that good conversation and, and it came back to us like settling like, yeah, that makes sense. I see your point. I see your point. But it, I was very worried initially like, oh yeah, people are going to have that like just like gut reaction feeling to it. So I don't know. I mean, that, like I said, it's kind of tangentially related, but it kind of falls into the same idea of just like, where is value? Yeah. See, I would think of it as a compression algorithm or ratio. It's like how many hours of your experience are those 90 minutes saving somebody at an intermediary level? I mean, so the the truth would be, okay, so obviously it's hard to say building different things, but like if you build this thing, yeah, the video part of it is 90 minutes long, which you may refer to multiple times. The building process is going to be 50 hours long. Mm -hmm. So like it's all part of a bigger thing. So like that five-hour video may be also part of a 50-hour experience overall. And so was your pricing strategy just thinking about sort of charging per pun? Yes. I've got 90 <laughs> puns in there, $1 per pun. Fair. The, I would never charge over a buck fifty per pun, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. $1. I mean, that's, that's the standard ratio. Anything more than that is, you know, the customers have to be idiots. You're gouging. Yeah, so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, Chris, like, if if there's anything, like, the free plans of the world now are just YouTube videos. Right. Like if, if I want to build a four eyes project, I could dissect it mm -hmm. from just one of your videos, do a little bit of kind of eyeballing and figure out roughly what you did and make it myself. If you're that person that's going to do that, you're going to do that. Whether the plans are $30, $40, $50 or $150, you know, you're just yep. that person that's just going to reverse engineer it and dissect it. But if you're somebody but you're doing like a boutique thing, you know, like yes. you're not doing, you're not Gillette. You are like the person that's got the straight razor and you're doing it like <laughs> an old school barber, Watch you know? Neck. Yeah. You're not, you're not the Mach five or something like that. So I think what you're doing is great. You could charge like 120 for the plans. And I think the people that are going to buy them are still going to buy them. Yeah. I, I honestly, so the irony is, which I, I commented several times while working on the plans is that I don't think I have, I, I'm, I'm incapable of following a plan, like just the way that my brain works. I can make a plan. I, I find it very hard to follow something. Mm -hmm. And so I think because of that, like I put a lot of extra thought into the way that I did it, making sure to be thorough and like explain things efficiently and all of that, because I, I kind of designed it so that like I could quickly convey information in a very thorough way for somebody like me who like who their attention won't hold if right. it's redundant and you're like, talk about it, now show it, now talk about it again. It's like, no, you got to kind of, like, I like to see and hear things and everything simultaneously. Like that's the way that I learn better. So I tried to do that with it. But Mike, to your point, yeah, totally. Like if you're going to be spending 50 hours or probably more than that, honestly, and like, you know, $500 in material and hardware, I feel like the price of the plan is almost negligible. Yeah, exactly. And I think like plans, the right price is if you're charging more than 20% of your material costs, then you're ripping that's people the, off. That's the, so I think you did your equation pretty good. I nailed it because that's, yeah, that's right <laughs> where I was. Perfect. No, nah, I'm, I'm hyped for these to come out. I mean, everybody's known about like uh, Wood Whisperer Guild and things like that, but I'm really excited to see your take on it because I know 
Well, I do, you're just 10 years newer to the game, basically. So I'm really curious to see what it all looks like. And I think a lot of people are going to be really into it. I think you're... I don't know what you're estimating it to do, but I think it's going to blow whatever you're thinking out of the water. Yeah, and I also think what they're getting in terms of value for what you're offering is design that's fresh and new in addition mm-hmm. to the instruction and how-to component. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's pretty important. It's that you're not just paying for instruction as a generic commodity. If right. if you just want information, information is free, right? Like even like the best universities in the world, most of them now offer online classes that anyone can kind of take. When you mm-hmm. pay extraordinary amounts of money, and some would argue that it's not worth it, and others would argue that it is, you're really paying for the kind of the the connections and support that goes to it. But just raw information by itself isn't that valuable in the internet age. So packaged with original design, I think is what's in in my mind sort of adding that value, and I think what's going to sort of differentiate you. But yeah, that was oh god. What's what's interesting though is that anytime you discuss money or price, it connects in these sort of broader philosophical views. And like, it's almost like people think that the way you operate as a influencer or woodworker or maker in a massive economic structure is emblematic of how you feel philosophically about how that structure should, should exist. Like, I'm the, I never studied economics. I don't have strong opinions about sort of capitalist versus blended or hybrid systems and all that. I just don't know that much about it. But what I do know is that I will not be changing those things in my lifetime. Like that's just not where my work is. So I'm working within the structure. If I wanted to change right. the structure, I would have become a politician or an economist. But since I didn't choose to do one of those things, I'm sort of saying like, regardless of how I feel about this system, I'm just working with it because my focus is going to be good at or centered on getting really good at designing and sort of good at making. So that being said, when I relate that to economics and business, I'm not going to be challenging the the economic disparities or disparities, which I think are as a person, you know, somewhat problematic. I'm just going to be saying that like, this is out of my realm of expertise, but this is what seems to be happening. And I'm going to take what is within my realm of expertise, not complain about the stuff that I can't control. And I'm going to try to find really smart and effective strategies to get both my personal objectives, which is sort of getting my design out ideas out to the most amount of people, but then also creating new opportunities for myself to even amplify that voice through sort of making smart business decisions. And I'm just surprised at how many people are like too dumb to get that. Life's a puzzle, man. You just got to, life is a bunch of puzzles. You just got to figure out which one your piece fits into. Yeah. Nice. Put that on a shirt. Yeah. Modern builds, merch. <laughs> life's a bunch of puzzles. No, it should even say life's a puzzle, dot, dot, dot. No, life's a bunch of puzzles. <laughs> bunch in all thing. caps. Yeah. <laughs> With a light bulb, like you just had an epiphany. Yeah. Yeah, but it's also something where, I mean, if I if I see another maker, like let's say John Malecki, he does custom stuff. If I see him like sell a custom piece for a lot of money, I'm like, 
Heck yeah. That's awesome. I see that as expanding the field outward and his success for driving up that price is good for me. But it's funny to me that there's so many people that are interested in maker content or enough to sort of watch one of these videos that are like, no, we want low margins because that's the right thing to do. (laughs) Because that's what I'm getting. We want our labor to be undervalued. And it's like, (laughs) no, I want my labor to be valued, but I want my ideas to be really, really valued. I want both, man. Like we're in a world where like actually having hand skills is that out of the norm thing. Right. So like if you can position yourself to be smart with your mind and with your hands, you get to leverage that over everyone. Right. You get to build, you get to do the things that people can't do and you get to think of the things that the majority of the doers can't like idealize. Right. And if you or like come up with and if you just put that on a shirt. And if you just want like so I I met this guy one time and he's like, Oh, I got a startup. And I'm like, all right, I'm tell me what it's about. I guess I guess I guess <laughs> gonna be here for one. a while. Um and he was basically replicate or he basically set up this like factory in China with the and it wasn't really a factory, it was more like an art studio, but it was built like, like so a factory. Sweatshops, great. And it was just like you could send them ideas or sketches for art and these like uh-huh. really skilled artists <laughs> that were paid very little money would do incredibly meticulous <laughs> oh, painting. So it's like, Mike, if you said, oh, I want like the dogs playing poker, but in my bus, you could probably get that done. But like this is like Fiverr, but like but hand painted in oils. Right. <laughs> and Whoa. each one of these painters that was hired by this factory was incredibly skilled. Like way more skilled, I'm sure, than like Bob Ross. Don't you dare. And they make like no money. And that's where just craftsmanship alone often gets you. If like you have to tie it in, especially in this economy, to original ideas or original branding or some sort of other type of business apparatus that actually creates the value. Because if you want to compete just on like, hey, I'm going to upcharge. I bought this walnut for... $500. So that means I sell the table for $1,000. If, if that's what makes you happy economically, great, do that. But don't be one of those people that complains about like, oh, manufacturing in America is left. No, you got to tie it to something innovative, something fresh, something different, or something that's just well communicated in terms of where the value is coming from. That's Ben's t-shirt. That's just like, oh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah. Ben's t-shirt. It's going to be on the front, it says skill alone won't get you there. And then on the back, it says you got to be a hippie with an afro. Gimmicks. <laughs> gimmicks, Will. It's gimmicks, Will. <laughs> yeah, but that's the problem, though, is I think the the thing, too, is you've got a large swath of the people that are making things kind of in the middle of America where the amount of people that are trying to buy $6,000 tables is probably like 10% as many as like what you get on either coast. And so I think a lot of people are seeing, like, I mean, let's use you for an example, selling a $6,000 table for $500 in materials mm-hmm. and saying, there's just, that customer doesn't exist around me. Mm-hmm. But if you go to, I don't know, Northern Cal, go to, go to Silicon Valley, that person exists more often than that person doesn't exist. And so it's hard because 
everybody's situation is just so different. And, and so whatever is obvious and clear right in front of you is not even in the realm of possibility for somebody else. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's funny. Like, uh, it, I mean, the same thing comes across with restaurants, you know, for, yeah. for some people, Starbucks is a bit of a treat just because they know it's so much cheaper to make some Folgers at home. And for sure. For other people. That's part of waking up. Yep. Oh, I thought you were going to finish it. Folgers, <laughs> Folgers in your cup. In your cup. I'm setting Mike up. <laughs> uh, so value is a very relative thing. Yeah. But I think it because it's tied to a number and there's a range of products that people know with that have different numbers associated to them. That's where they kind of feel the subjective, even though it actually isn't. Mm, there's a tricky there's something I just thought of. That's a little tricky. If you're doing some sort of calculation based off of the materials, mm-hmm. maybe that's a good hourly rate in your area. So like maybe it's a, like a, a real cheater's way of not having to do math to figure out a day rate or an hourly rate. You just be like, eh, materials is genuinely expensive. And a lot of places just getting walnut lumber or oak is like, that's, you know, a lot of money to drop that material cost. And so doubling it is like, you know, I'm making 20 to 35 an hour for being like good at building things, but not being like top level. That's a decent hourly wage where I'm at. But the crazy part is like that same cost for the walnut is the exact in, I don't know, Kansas is the exact same cost for the walnut in LA. Right. Yeah. I To where, yeah, that, that idea of like an hourly or a day rate just based on materials seems so, so like poorly thought out. Yeah, I, I've never understood it. It, and it doesn't take your local economy into consideration at all. Well, it doesn't take... Okay, so like, let's just use the dresser that I built, for example, right? It was probably about $500 worth of walnut. So if I said, okay, I'm going to charge quadruple the material cost, $2,000. Okay, fine. There you go. So $1,500 in labor, $500 in material. If I built that thing out of cherry... Now, am I going to only charge $1,000 for it because my exactly. material cost was $220 when it's the exact same amount of work? So now yeah. my profit has to go down by like 33% or something? Yeah. So you're over here like, no, listen, man, you really want this out of walnut. Trust well, me. It's so easy to work with. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. I'm going to build it out of diamonds. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. I guess, I guess the thing that surprised me now that you've mentioned that is that I would think like it, for me personally... The only thing that would annoy me in sort of watching a video like this related to price would be if I thought somebody was undercharging. But if they overcharge, even relative to my life experience, I would be like, oh, that's great. Because anytime if I objectively or subjectively believe that someone overcharged and successfully completed the transaction, I'm like, well, that idea just seeing that content creates new opportunities for me relative to how I was previously valuing myself. Yeah. The only thing that would actually upset me, if I, if I, especially if I made my life as a custom maker or woodworker, would be if I saw other people significantly undercharging. Because that actually right. would impact me because I'd be like, man, that's just going to make it that if someone's out there doing it for, you know, double margins on the materials – wow, that's going to be really tough for me to sort of do this. So it's like... Yeah, it's just undercutting somebody that's undercutting somebody else. Anyone that's in my... It's like it's like you heard a lot of other podcasters when Joe Rogan got the Spotify deal were being like, this is great. 
And it wasn't because they were getting a Spotify deal. It was because he set the bar higher for what those podcasts and media assets were valued at. And so you want to cheer for people that are, I mean, if you're smart, but, you know, of course, do whatever you want. It would make sense if you're in that industry to want people to expand the market, not contract it into a sort of, you know, a race to the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Raise the ceiling or raise the threshold. I agree. But I think, yeah, not to go on too long about this, but I think the idea of just saying, hey, if you didn't buy something from me or get something custom from me, where would you buy furniture at? I think that was like the for anybody that is interested in building things on commission and making that a real life gig. I think that's genuinely good advice because it's what you were saying in the video, though. It's like you get an idea of what they're wanting to spend. You're getting an idea of the quality that they're expecting and you're getting an idea of just general style. Like if they're going to get something from West Elm, that's going to be a lot different than if they get something from hemispheres or something like that. Yeah, it's funny. It it was a good reminder. And I mean, what this video taught me is that I should be talking about money more often. Yeah, I think so. Because the sort of controversy and fired upness has been good for the video's performance. So. And I got a pretty thick skin, so I'm I'm good on this. So I don't need any, uh, you know, encouraging DMs. But you know what? Send them anyways, because they are nice. (laughs) (laughs) I love a good pick. Yeah. Yeah. Just thicken up that skin a little bit more. Yeah. But it's like it's one of the reasons why I've never talked that much to the camera. It's like I kind of know that I, I don't feel like I'm that relatable to the audience in a lot of ways. It's like I have a very distinct set of life experiences that are that to me feel totally normal, but like I kind of know statistically probably aren't like I'm weird. Cool. (laughs) That'll And what I try to do is like translate that into creative ideas that then I then find that intersection between a sort of broader audience. But it's like my social circle, I don't think is that statistically normal. And my sort of day-to-day stresses and concerns probably aren't. So it's why I've never done a lot of like vlogging or anything like that. I just feel like uh, if I actually say what I'm am worried about and not worried about and what I care about, I'm going to sound like a pretentious. Maybe, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, not to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. First off, that's what everyone's looking for yeah. in vlogs, the most normal and average person. So I think if you were to do it, you are starting on the right, you know, people want somebody that's doing something unique, but I just have to go back to this two Xing material or three Xing material. What are you just going to go your whole life and never get a raise? Right. In what profession do you go your whole life and make the same amount of money when you start versus when you quit? And then you'd be like, well, well, inflation, cool. Cost of living matches inflation or is even worse than that. Right. So you're either going to get a, a gradual decrease in pay and quality of life the longer you get the longer you do something or at best it just never goes it just never moves so this motivated me that's the worst that's the worst idea i've ever heard anybody listening do not do not so, do not i'm going to say it again do, do not. not yeah this price your work on what you're paying for materials. That is actually stupid. The more I think about it, it's actually no, stupid. You want to sell your ideas. You want to get value on your thoughts and your creativity. You want to get you want to get paid for that shower time when you're like you're 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 sudsing up, but you're also thinking about, oh, how could I do this detail to make it totally different? You want to get paid for your thoughts in addition to your physical labor. Yeah. 
But have, did you ever hear about that story in the art world where a guy just like duct taped a banana to the wall and then like sold it for a ridiculous amount of money at Art Basel? <laughs> I haven't, but I totally believe yeah. it. Because <laughs> hang on real quick, because people are stupid. People with <laughs> there are some people with money that are stupid. <laughs> They're getting value out of it. It's still business, right? Like art is still a business, even if it doesn't make sense. But I'm kind of like reading the comments and it's like, oh, I need to take this farther. So quick yeah. brainstorming sesh session. Here we go. <laughs> What's the most ridiculous? Like what would piss people off the most? Probably something with pocket holes. Yeah. So the construction definitely has to be on the lower tier of like acceptable. Right. So, so pocket holes, butt the, joints, the challenge, even like two by fours, right. like use construction. The challenge lumber. should be maybe me making something with just like pocket holes and two by fours and then seeing how high I can like successfully sell the thing. Maybe I'll do it for like yeah, a like, charity or something like that. Uh, but yeah, the new follow up is like fifty dollars in materials for ten grand or something like that. Yes, sold. yeah, the, yes, but then the, stick the, it in their face. The takeaway should be that you should charge as a multiplication of material and be like, yeah, you just got to do like thirty five hundred times material. <laughs> That's my standard thing. Whenever no. I'm working with two by fours, and then and then do like one of like those pricing videos, like. Pricing for woodworkers, in my experience, so I, if I'm doing pocket holes and using, you know, <laughs> genuine dimension lumbers, I go for like probably, I don't know, like 200 to 400 X the material cost. I think that that's fair. And I really don't feel comfortable charging more than that. I really want to yeah. be valued for my the time I spent sort of learning about design and making. Mm-hmm. But now if I'm using really high quality materials like plywood <laughs> and stainless steel screws. Yeah. If if you go up to those stainless steel screws. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, but but a uh, quick round table before we uh, move on to obsessions. What are some things that you guys buy that you kind of know that you're spending too much money on, but you still like it so much that you just do it anyways? Shoes. Ooh. There you go. That's yeah, a good one, Chris. Chris. Yes. I mean, sneakers are a classic example of this. All these people that are commenting, they're the kind of people that be like, I can't believe someone paid $1,000 for Yeezys. Okay. But I didn't do that, by the way. So this, Chris, though, this is where we're so different. I hate, I mean, I hate spending money that's just unnecessary on shoes. Anything over a hundred bucks is just like, why would you do this? But yeah. I'm with that with like every wardrobe item. I just find something that I like that is whatever whatever I'm comfortable calling affordable, and I just don't ever change it. See, I'll rarely pay over retail for a pair of shoes. Like usually, if I miss out on like winning a pair of shoes in a bid or whatever, then I'll just be like, all right, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be for me in those shoes. Uh-huh. There are very few that I bought, and like I've never bought any of the really expensive pairs, but I did. So this will probably mean nothing to you guys. But about a month ago, Nike came out with a collaboration with Ben and Jerry's called the Chunky Dunkies. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw those. But I, I actually, actually won them on the sneakers app. And they cost like, I don't know, 90 bucks. Or I think they're 100 bucks they cost. And yeah. like right now on, on StockX, which is like, you yeah. know, or Goat, which are the aftermarket sites for those, they're like $1,900. But are you going to keep them though, right? Yeah, I just kept it. I haven't worn them. They're just like What kind of colorways are they? They got to be cool colorways. Oh, look them up. They're, they're, okay, what is your Ben, ben be and Jerry hideous, and who? You would consider, just say, put in Chunky Dunky, Nike Chunky Dunky. Ah, uh, there we go, they're Nike, like, okay. They look like a Ben and Jerry's container onto a shoe, kind of. Mm. I want to hear Mike's reaction as he sees them. Oh, I'm into them because they look like just OGs. Yeah, they're crazy looking. Yeah, they just look like OG Jordans, though. No, you're looking at the wrong thing. 
Oh, yeah, I am it should actually. It look like there's like cow print on it and a yellow <laughs> tongue it. that looks yep, like it's I'm like good dripping. Now. I'm good now. I got him. The colors are so sick. These are very cool. These are very cool. They're not like the style shoe I wear day to day, but no. still, they're sick. So what, what I always think, or what's crazy is like, if you told me, like, I feel like if someone came up to me and was like, hey, man, would you build me this dining table? I'll give you $1,900 for you to build it for me. I'd be like, no, I'm not going to do it. Like this dining table is worth much more than that. But if they're like, hey, I'll give you this pair of chunky donkeys to build me a dining table, I'd be like, hell yeah, sign me up. Oh, there you go. Like yeah. there's something about getting an item that I would never buy. I would never pay any kind of money for the shoes, but like to have them gifted to me, I would have a, a weird sense of value too. Nice. Mike, what's something that you splurge on when you treat Dude, it's yourself? Just, it's just meat. Yeah. I buy just, just a the lot of meat. I like I buy a lot of beef. Mm, so it's like the amount of like once I started making money, like really the only thing that changed because I'm a frugal guy. <laughs> right. You are thing. very frugal. I'm a frugal guy. Like I just don't really spend money, even now that I'm making what I would consider more money than I ever thought I would make. Well, actually, false. I always had high hopes, but <laughs> reality and expectations are usually different. But anyways. More yeah, money than just, other people would have thought that you'd make. That's the truth. That is the truth. But no, it's just groceries. Like buying like meat and produce and just genuinely like I look at the price tag, but I still almost don't even let it affect yeah. me. Pay now or pay later, right? And that's some real freedom right there. Just to be like, oh, T-bones tonight. Or it's like, ooh, <laughs> so. you know, just whatever it is. Or, ooh, no, no, no. This is actually the coolest thing. Is Sam's Club everywhere? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Mostly. It's here. Okay. It's, it's kind of like Costco. Costco. Isn't it owned by Walmart? It is. So okay. either you got Sam's Club or you got Costco. It doesn't matter. They're the same thing. Yeah, You know what it is. Buying bulk steak is like mm. the coolest, most like, especially when you're just doing it as like me, because like I'll just walk in and then I walk out with like handfuls of meat. You know, it's like I go there for <laughs> the meat. I'm not even getting. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but it's like I'm not getting a grocery cart. It. I don't go get a grocery cart. It's just you get a couple of very bulk sized like uh, things of steak. Montgomery. Yeah. So you're just walking through the store with like 20 steaks and it's like, yes, I have my meat for the next couple of weeks. And so you got to hey, balance it, that out uh, with some plant based, simple finish. <laughs> oh, there you go. Drink it down. It's low VOC. Actually, don't. Yeah. yeah. But Do what about you? Okay, ben, you're up. Your turn. I'm very asymmetrical in my spending. Like there's not like a, like a medium price point or a high price point or a low price point that I adhere to. I try to differentiate it relative to what I perceive my enjoyment is of that subject. So mm -hmm. one thing that I won't compromise on is like healthy food, but I think you could actually eat healthy for a pretty reasonable amount of money. It's more about what you don't for buy sure. in terms of like snacks and just extra carbs and sugar than it is about, and then you create room by not buying the, the unhealthy stuff to make room for that. And as a professional underwear model influencer, no, <laughs> you know you got you to gotta, uh, keep your figure nice and trim. But I think when it comes to clothing, like I never spent a lot on shoes. But the one exception would be if I buy leather shoes or like boots or dress shoes. Then those are shoes where I go real conservative with the style. If I buy like leather work boots or something like that, I get a very classic thing that I think will be in style for a long time. And then I want to pay two to three hundred dollars because I want both comfort and I want once I spend the time and the blisters to break in that boot and so I recently got a pair of helm boots 
not a sponsor. I just paid for them because I thought they were really well made. I saw I saw a pair of them from a friend's and I was like, wow, these are these are really nice. And what I figured with the boots is that whenever I've gotten new leather boots, the first week of wearing them is kind of uncomfortable. But then it's amazing once they really fit and you get that great ankle support. So if I'm going to break something in, I also want it to last longer because I don't want to break yeah. in another pair. So for boots is something where I don't mind spending two to $300 on a really nice, well-made pair. But my day-to-day shoes, as everyone knows, is just Vans. Now those are like, I would get them for like 40 bucks on Zappos. And that's normally, I've worn those shoes to to close out, you know, business deals and business casual situations and museum openings. And I feel like they're classic enough where I can get away with it. The jeans I wear, not expensive, under $100. Leather jackets, though, is where I will spend money. Because I feel like a cheap leather jacket looks like a cheap leather jacket. Now, if I found one that was affordably priced and met my sort of very meticulous standard for detail, I would do it. So it's like with the basics, I all go kind of like mid-range to low-end. Uh, and focus more on fit. But for like the one or two detail things like boots and a jacket, that's where I don't mind spending money because I want to find one that's going to last for a really long time. And I've I've had the same leather jackets for like five or six years. And yeah. I'll probably have them for another five or six years because they're kind of, you know, they're not... They're not of the moment. They're not that stylized. Yeah, they're kind of like, they're a legacy thing. So that with clothing, that's how I kind of differentiate it. With like cars, I've never cared about like fancy cars or sports cars. Like my Toyota Tacoma is perfectly fine. I'll spend money to kind of like fix it up for convenience. The other time that I'll really splurge is when I'm on like vacation or I'm traveling. Like if I will never hesitate to spend the 20 bucks for Wi-Fi on an airplane because I know that if I if I send 10 emails, that's if I send two emails, it's probably going to justify that cost somehow because I'm 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 getting back that time that it otherwise just be spent traveling. Or if I read one good article that I otherwise wouldn't have read that like teaches me something, that is valuable. So what I try to do is like be sort of set like a boundary. So like anything that I think that's like under $100 that'll make the next two hours significantly better or more productive, I will spend it when I'm traveling. And I find that, you know, it's like if you're, if I'm at the a hotel and getting that extra, you know, spending the extra $5 for the better Wi-Fi or whatever it is, if I have to upload a video in the next 24 hours, I'm doing that. I'm yeah. not going to cheat you on something know. that doesn't like eats up my time. So I'll spend lavishly to to reduce my sort of time to something and then for kind of signature items that I'm going to keep for a long time. You know, actually, so one, I thought of one more while you were talking and this one, this is actually something that I'll recommend. And I guess this whole thing's kind of like been obsessions because it's stuff that we are into in value or whatever. So something that I would recommend to everybody, one place that like, I'd really say, go ahead and splurge a little bit, get something better than what else is out there. And at least where I like to, and I think other people would find value is in really high quality, detailed, thorough woodworking video plans. <laughs> Chris, Preferably you for a that, dresser dude. or a rocking chair. Dude, you had me on the hook. I was listening. Like I was tuned in. Sorry. That's good. Yeah. All right, guys. So what are your obsessions? I'm going to go ahead and shout out Chris's plans again. Get some okay. plans, guys. Get, Get some plans. Get some plans. Or at least just check them out. I've been, Peruse I've been watching, the website. I've been watching The Last of Us Part 2 
on a oh. The Last of Us. Oh, what do they call them? Watch me play. I don't know what they call it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a video game. It's like some kind of zombie yeah, game, yeah. right? Yeah, it's like an infection. There was part one came out like it's like seven years ago now, I think, and part two just came yeah. out maybe like two weeks ago. So, but you're not playing the game. No, I never have time to play video games anymore. But you're so watching like, it. How's it any different? It's the same amount of time. Because I can do it like, you know, while I'm eating lunch or while uh, I'm like going to okay. bed or whatever. Fair. So, you know, I can do it in like little 20 minute bites rather than like three hours or whatever, how you play a video game. Fair. Okay. It's good though. It's dope. Yeah. So far, so good. Nice. Ben, your turn. Well, first one is going to be to the sami the underwear brand that i invested in and now an influencer for Uh, we just hit 5x our kickstarter goal killing the game and yeah be sure to check it out it's fantastic they're my go-to now they can double as swimwear they're awesome and they're made from very sustainable materials other than that yeah i don't have too much i haven't been watching too too much or listening to to that many things i've really just been like editing a ton Oh, but one thing I did see recently that was cool is my sister Jessie did a video for Cricket, and oh, nice. I guess they're kind of like they're probably the cheapest way to get into some sort of digital fabrication. It's more two D based, and I think they're more in like the kind of craft or or Michael's yeah. kind of world or Hobby Lobby of it all. But it's like a really affordable, easy to use vinyl cutter that whatever you sort of design in illustrator or photoshop you can cut out a vinyl and their new machine is small portable and there's no buttons on it so it all just works from your phone and it works really well and is super easy to use so if you need to make like stencils or vinyl lettering or labels for things like i think it's like under 200 bucks too nice you can do some really cool stuff so you know her seeing me seeing her do seeing that her. with vinyl and then seeing Chris's stuff is really making me thinking about coding my entire house in vinyl. Vinyl's legit. legit. I'm really curious, Chris, just as a side note, mm-hmm. genuinely, how durable do you think that's going to be when it doesn't wrap all the way around the, like if it's a door, when it doesn't right. wrap all the way around? I mean, that's going to be the question. Like, I'm Do you just have high have hopes? To s- you think it's going to be good? I think it's going to hold up. I mean, the okay. one that I made, it, I put it at my parents' house. So, you know, if it does start coming apart, it's I have access to it. Yeah. I would not, I would wait at least probably a year to two years before I would ever consider selling anything with it on it. Just because like, it's one of those things that you just need time to tell. But like, it seems to be on there pretty good. Cool. Okay. My obsession, since you're so curious. Yes. What is it, Mike? What is it? Well, we're talking about splurging. And so Mm -hmm. as you guys were talking, I was thinking back on like, what have I been considering splurging on? This is it. It's a Jaguar XJS. It's like, it's a vintage (laughs) sports car. I think they produced them from like the late seventies into like early mid nineties. And what I would say and I'm sure there are enthusiasts and people that know a lot more than me. So let's take it with a grain of oh, salt. Yeah, I remember these. They're like the last really cool Jaguar that was manufactured before they got bought by Ford. And that sort of like late 90s into the 2000s era of Jaguars, I think are really ugly. But this is like the last classic Jaguar that was designed, manufactured, like independently by Jaguar. And it is so cool. It's a V12. It's like a real sports car, but this bad boy, it's a coupe as well, but it's like a luxury coupe on the inside. So you can pick up like, 
You can pick up 80s models and 90s models all for between 10 and 15 grand. If you want something that's like ready to go, like with no work, there's no way these things stay this cheap over the next 15 years. They are think- so swaggy. Like as a hard top, they're insane. The way that the roof line meets the tail, so sick. And even as a uh, like convertible, which is from what I'm seeing on the on the market is like a little more common, still looks swaggy. But the hard top is so cool. But it's a real V12. It's gonna like smoke anything off the line. But you're in a Jaguar. You are kicking it, Austin Powers, <laughs> baby, Jaguar. I would- if I had to guess, there's probably no such one of these things that doesn't require work because they probably always it requires have weekly work maintenance required right around the corner. And also, Mike, Maybe. now so Jaguars yeah, are good things. again. There was like a, there was a period there that where they were really bad, right? But yeah, but no, I, that's I know, good. That's good for the collector market. Sold. There you go. Yeah, for this whole like collector market, like the fact that Jaguar kind of got so crappy and kind of tanked a little bit. These these cars like are suffering from that but they're good again the jaguar brand is good again right and so these cars are going to go up in value there's no way they stay where they're at get one mike so i'm going to get one so if anybody that's listening has a hot lead genuinely dm it to me and if anybody is local to joshua tree and is a good mechanic and thinks that they could properly service and maintain a jag let me know but yeah i think that's going to be my like if i have a big splurge this year i'm gonna keep my nose to hey. it but i i'm gonna keep your, I, i'm gonna keep your nose out of your big splurges oh uh, okay if i have a big ticket item that i purchased this year it'll probably be that i'm i've been looking at them for like six months and i still like them as much as i do then which means it's cool to me pass the the test yeah, that's like my rule for anything cool and or tattoos i have to have the idea for and like seven sketch hours it. No, for like six months. And then if it's if I look back at my sketchbook. Uh, I'm not sure your tattoos follow the that uh rule. Is that they a do, new man. rule? No, that's a real rule. I've told you okay, this rule before. Right. I've got every oh, FYI. I've tattooed myself like five times, maybe six times. Over and how every long time of I've time period? Like a two year period. Hello. The first time I did it to myself. Some of those six months can overlap. The first time yeah. I tattooed myself, I still lived in Oklahoma. So yeah. it's been at least two years. Uh-huh. Anyways, long story short. For every tattoo that I've done on myself, I've got a sketchbook entry from way, way, way back where I was like sketching and rough drafting it. I might. You know what? Yeah, but uh, you know what? I will. I will. I will. All right. Done. Well, guys, thanks a ton for listening to the Modern Maker Podcast. Mm. If you're interested in helping the show, genuinely, the best way you can do it is just telling a homie or throwing us a review on the iTunes app. It doesn't really do anything crazy. It just lets the app know that we're a good show and that it should suggest us to people that listen to similar content. So if you do that, genuinely appreciate it. But like I said, if you just have a friend that builds stuff and they don't already know about the show, just let them know. I think we're a pretty fun show. I think sometimes we talk about poignant topics. Other time, it's just a lot of BS. It's that happy average that we really try and do. Thanks again, everybody. If you've got any topic ideas or suggestions, hit us up on Instagram. Ben is at Benjamin Ueda. Chris is at Four Eyes Furniture. And me, Mike, is at Modern Builds. So thanks again, everybody. And we will talk to you next week on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Later. Bye.